Today we're going to do something a little unique from our normal stories. We're going to take some of the stories that we have received in about spooky, thrilling, and mystery tales. Our flight today is a unique one. Charting a course through both the bustling terminals and the high-altitude mysteries of the aviation world. Haunted tales unfold not only within the confines of metal giants, but also amidst the labyrinthine corridors of airports. From phantom aviators, which we question whether they existed or never did, and ghostly echoes in silent halls from airports that are large and quiet mostly at night. These stories will take you on a hair-raising journey that blurs the line between grounded reality and the ethereal skies. So once again, let's fasten our seatbelts for tales that span the realms of airport intrigue and airborne enigmas. The adventure begins where the tarmac meets the terminal and soars high into the clouds. Get ready for turbulence and tales in this episode and prepares you for another spine-tingling takeoff. Welcome to Destination Aviation. All right, folks, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be here with you again as we are securely now into October. As we talked about before, we're really taking a theme this month around spooky, mystery, thrilling tales. We talked last time a little bit about the government shutdown and the news that we've seen. Thankfully, unthankfully, I don't know, depending on what you see going on in Washington, we did avoid that for now with a 45-day continuing resolution, which takes us right before the busy Thanksgiving holiday travel period, which is just phenomenal. In the continuing resolution, they actually had the FAA extended through the end of December, so December 31st. In theory, they will keep operating past the November 17th deadline. However, the legislators did not continue the appropriations component, which funds the FAA. So there's a lot of perplexed thought around what that actually means, because how can you keep operating if you do not have funds to operate? So hopefully they'll get their stuff together. But considering uh, the spooky tale for House Speaker Kevin McCarthy was Matt Getz, and his ousting, (laughs) it will be interesting to see how that unfolds. Hopefully we don't run into a shutdown right before the busy holiday season. However, it doesn't even sound like, I think we have Jim Jordan, Steve Scalise, Representative Kevin Hearn, all running for the replacement of Speaker of the House. Once again, they have to get to 218. You have those eight far-right Republicans. Who knows if it's actually going to happen, but it's not a political podcast. I know we won't get too much into it. Let's just hope that we get past this, considering what happened with McCarthy and the hardlining, because there was a negotiation with Democrats. Uh, it doesn't leave a lot of people in this industry hope that we're going to see a uh, a complete reversal here. So we will find out. So along with that, other things maybe we want to talk about the news. I've been uh, keeping track. Obviously, a lot of my job is just keeping up where we are in the current environment and what's kind of happening out there. I did send over a couple of uh, intriguing articles to look at here up front. So unfortunately, with some of the podcasts that we've had before about elected officials, pretty much mostly ranging in Alaska, there was a fatal accident in North Dakota involving a state senator. So North Dakota state senator Doug Larson, his wife and their two children were in Mohab, Utah. According to reports, the single-engine Piper PA-23 crashed around 8.20 p.m. on Sunday, shortly after taking off from the Canyonlands Regional Airport. 
Grand County Sheriff deputies and Moab Fire Department personnel responded to the crash, according to the statement from the Grand County Sheriff's Office. Just after midnight, the Sheriff's Office confirmed on Facebook that the rescue efforts were completed and the four occupants support did not survive the crash. Larson was a 29-year member of the North Dakota Army National Guard and had served in the Senate since 2021, representing District 34. I've never been to the Canyonlands Regional Airport, but I have driven through Utah before. It is very desolate, taking off later at night, so 8 p.m. would have been probably pretty dark at that point. Right now, it's showing that sunset is 6.50 p.m., so I don't know if you lost your frame of reference or if there was an actual incident with the aircraft. We'll reserve till we see more from the NTSB on this. I know when I was flight training and my flight instructor so politely said to me that if you decide to go flying at night in a single engine plane and you have an issue, more than likely you're going to die. So that was his opinion on it. It was, I, you know, if you're up at night, it is, it's very hard. I mean, you could see dark spaces, but if you don't know there's power lines in there, you don't know what's happening on the ground. It's hard to uh, make an emergency landing uh, that you know exactly what is going to happen. So you do put yourself in a peril uh, position when it comes to operating at night. Our thoughts are definitely with the people that were touched by Senator Larson's life. So another unfortunate story coming out of New York may or may not have seen. Federal investigators are digging into the cause of a Cessna that crashed Sunday that killed top aviation safety inspector and a former NFL star. Richard McSpadden, 63, and Russ Francis, 70, died after the Cessna Cardinal they were flying crashed near the runway at the Lake Placid Airport, striking an earth embankment, according to the New York State Police. McSpadden was the head of the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association Air Safety Institute, which focused on curbing crashes of general aviation airplanes. You probably have seen some of his videos. I actually had not known or heard of Mr. McSpadden until... Uh, this incident, but I did go and watch some of his videos. They seem very informative. The Cessna 177 Cardinal, in which Richard was in the right seat, experienced an emergency after takeoff. The association said in a statement, the airplane attempted to return to the airport but failed to make the runway. The National Transportation Safety Board is leading the investigation. An initial federal aviation incident report says the plane crashed under unknown circumstances short of the runway. His occupant, Francis, played for the New England Patriots and the San Francisco 49ers for a total of 13 seasons and was a two-time All-Pro. He caught five passes for 60 yards as the 49ers and won Super Bowl 21. McSpannon was well-respected in aviation circles and was the former commander of the U.S. Air Force Thunderbirds demonstration team, having led 100 flight demonstrations flying the lead aircraft. Obviously, this is a tragic incident, but it does remind us that you can be one of the world's best safety experts, and sometimes in this industry, there are things that are just hard to overcome. So once again, someone especially at this level of flying, it will be interesting to see what the NTSB reports on an initial issue with this crash. I will say, I just looked up the Lake Placid Airport. It does look like a, a, a nice area. The, the name, when I read the article, triggered me. Obviously, I don't know people in here. We're in October, and we're in spooky season. And Lake Placid, the movie, with the giant, I think it was an alligator or crocodile, the guy from Spaceballs, who sometimes I mess up with, Bill Paxton, Bill Pullman, plus Betty White, who famously said in the movie, if I had a dick, this is where I would tell you to suck it. <laughs> But uh, moment of levity, moment of levity. So the last thing I want to talk about in the news before we get into our stories here, this is crazy, that A320 that we talked about in Russia. 
So the Russian airliner that was stranded in a Siberian field, it may attempt to take off after the ground freezes. An Airbus 320 operated by Ural Airlines performed a safety emergency landing in an open field outside a Russian city on November 12th following a hydraulic failure. No injuries were reported, but now the Airbus has to be addressed as it's stuck in the field. There's also been reports that they ran out of fuel, so I think it just depends on what article you're reading. At this point, it's plausible that the plane may be scrapped for parts. However, rumors are swirling that the aircraft may have to take off from the same field it landed as soon as the Siberian winter arrives to harden the plane's newfound runway. So this is the interesting part about what's happening with the war in Ukraine and some of the embargo on Russia. The 19-year-old A320 may have faced similar fates, but the Airbus in this case is now suddenly a hot commodity due to a lot of the restrictions put on Russia due to the war. Uh, It was formerly owned by SMBC Aviation Capital, but when sanctions came down hard on Russia, the Eurasian country decided it was going to keep it, along with a dozen other Western-built airliners. Effectively stole all the airplanes... And at this point, nobody besides Russian manufacturers are keen on giving the country more passenger aircraft. Recently, the plane has been spotted with its slide stowed and the ground power unit connected, which means crews are likely to attempt to power it up. A further report on September 25th seems to collaborate that there will be an attempt to take off. There's also been reports that mechanics have been removing seats. Uh, this, If this plane actually takes off from this frozen field, I, you know, there was a point in my life where I wanted to visit Russia. I think right now uh, is not the best time to do that, obviously. But it would be amazing to see this aircraft take off uh, into on an on a open field like this. Obviously, I wouldn't want to be at the end of where this is taken off, but I could be off to the side. It's just amazing that the thing actually goes. So hopefully, people get some good videos, and maybe there's something we could throw up there down the road of this plane departing. Craziness happening with the A320 there. All right, we covered some of the stuff happening in the news. So let's get into some of the stories that we wanted to talk about today. As we referenced at the beginning, we're in our spooky season of tales, so we're trying to have a spooky-themed October. So let's get a little bit into that. So one of the cool things about doing this podcast is it gives an opportunity for me to converse with people about their stories and what they're doing, which leads us into where a lot of these are coming from. And also some of these are people that I've known in my life that I reached out to and said, hey, I remember this story you told me. Would you mind um, giving me some more details on it so I can put it into the show? We are going to go into a little bit of, of those stories. We also have a listener that will be in Washington, D.C. Uh, at the Smithsonian that has some of the stick. So maybe if you're wandering the halls, you'll find a sticker left over for the Destination Aviation podcast somewhere in the Air and Space Museum. But I do think it's cool that people are listening. I think that it's awesome that the show here is at least attracting some people and hopefully gives you a moment in your life and your week to enjoy some of our aviation mysteries, aviation thrilling stories, and maybe some educational components. Without further ado, our first story is going to take us back to San Jose. Now, you know, we've talked a little bit about San Jose in our episode of the FedEx flight where the individual tried to hijack the plane with a spear gun and hammer tools. I worked at San Jose for several years, and there was a story that often came through the staff about a flight attendant that had a heart attack in the terminal. I personally never had an experience in the terminal late at night, uh, but many other folks did. In the heart of the bustling terminal were the echoes of hurried footsteps and the hum of crowded concourses fade into the quiet night. There lies a spectral presence, 
a flight attendant who in life met an untimely end. It began with the airport staff and emergency personnel rushing to the report of a heart attack and the sudden departure from our world of the living. It's an unfortunate reality of airports, especially of this size. You have tens and thousands of passengers traversing through the airport every day, and people have medical issues in them. And some of the time, they pass away from those medical issues. But some ask, did they depart the terminal completely? The airport is pretty much quiet and closed at night, besides staff wandering the halls. Whether that's operational staff that maintain the airport in a limited capacity, cleaning staff, concessions that need to do work that can't happen throughout the day with all the passengers. As the clocks tick past midnight and the terminals are mostly deserted, staff tread the silent corridors for their inspections but sometimes they've reported chilling encounters. A figure in a faded uniform, perhaps somewhat translucent, pacing the concourses with a ghostly determination. Some say it's a lingering essence of a flight attendant, a spectral guardian of the terminal she once served. But the tales don't end there. During the quiet hours of the night, it's been reported of strange occurrences, lights flickering, unexplained whispers, maybe a fire alarm that was pulled with nobody around. Could it be spirits of those who departed too soon or still roam the concourses? Their presence felt in the quiet aftermath of a busy day. It's interesting, some of the stories that I've heard about this, it was never in a dangerous light. It was always a peculiar feeling, maybe of being watched, maybe of shadows on a camera at a terminal you know there's nobody in. For a while there, during the 2008 recession, about a third of the San Jose airport terminals actually closed down and walled off. But still staff had to go in and check those areas. Uh, oftentimes hearing doors close with nobody around, maybe getting the obscure paging phone going off with nobody in the terminal, leads the mind to wander. So you have a group of individuals in the middle of the night working in a large expanse of quietness, whether that's from the airfield with no planes moving or from the terminal with no passengers moving. Concessions that are deserted, besides the occasional worker here and there. Leaves the mind to wander. It's sometimes the same phenomenon when you're sitting in the woods. I actually was just sitting in my backyard last night having a fire, and I had a wind chime that my grandfather had given me, and it fell off of its hook sometime back, and it got caught on a lower branch of the tree, uniquely enough. So I... One, I need to move it back up. <laughs> so we'll just say my laziness has taken off there. I literally need to walk over to the tree and move it back to a higher position. But as it sits lower towards the bottom of the tree, right, you're about six inches off the ground. I'm sitting at my fire and I still night, no wind, and the chimes start moving. Now, your first thought is, that's creepy. Uh, what could make that move? Obviously, I would assume it probably was a raccoon or something. But when you're in this heightened state of alertness, like, in this case, in a terminal at night, the conversation goes, and if you're involved in what's happening in the day-to-day -day airport, I, my time at San Jose, I had seen multiple people, unfortunately, pass away in our terminals, whether that was at the TSA checkpoint, in the side of the terminals, but all of it really was, you know, you have a mass amount of people, when you have a mass amount of people, you know, there's, there's bound to be medical issues. And sometimes people don't survive those medical issues. So, dear listeners, as you traverse the terminals of the San Jose airport, remember that the stories etched into the walls extend beyond the departure gates. In the silent hours where the terminal whispers their secrets, the spirits of the departed may still be among us, their stories echoing through the haunted corridors. But keep in mind, everything that I've heard from staff is, if there is something there, 
it's always been friendly. So because our first story was more from the recesses of my own brain, and from what I can remember from my time in California, this truly is our first plain tale. You've seen it in the description where I've asked for some plain tales. Uh, Rob had reached out and submitted one of his stories, and I'm going to do as best as I can with that story here. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. It has a very touching ending to it. Uh, So, Rob, thank you for sending it over to us. And we are going to jump right into it here. So, folks, meet Rob. He's a listener of ours, which is great. And Rob will have a sticker on the way. He's a devoted aviator whose wings carried him and his beloved wife through the vast tapestry of the sky. The hum of their 1976 Piper PA-28 became the melody of their shared passion for aviation, painting the heavens with the strokes of their adventures. Grant County Field, a non-towered airport, witnessed the symphony of their love. Rob's wife, Ronnie, was his co-pilot not only in the air but in life, and would greet him over the radio as he descended towards the familiar runway. Glad the skies were friendly today, she said, and I will see you on the ground. Her warm voice echoed through his headset, a ritual that danced in the airspace above their home airport. In 2018, the skies of their life darkened as Ronnie was diagnosed with cancer. The challenges were turbulent as a stormy sky, and at the height of the COVID restrictions in 2020, Ronnie departed on a different kind of flight. Rob was bound by the pandemic rules, and he couldn't be in the room when she took her final breath. The loss was profound, and the grief a heavy cloud that seemed to hang perpetually over Rob. Yet time, like a gentle tailwind, urged Rob to continue his journey through the skies they once explored together. One night, as he returned from a pleasure flight to Baker City Municipal Airport, making his routine radio calls for a landing on runway 35, something extraordinary happened. Amidst the crackling static, a voice seemed to cut through the radio waves. I hope the skies are friendly to you today, the voice floated into Rob's ears. Stunned, he asked for this person to repeat, but there was only silence. As he landed and shut down the engine, he scanned the empty airspace, half expecting to see a fellow pilot or another aircraft. Yet there was nothing. Perhaps it was the wind playing tricks. Or maybe it was the universe giving Rob a celestial hug. A comforting thought lingered. He wondered if it was his co-pilot through countless journeys sending him one last message, one last greeting from the heavens. And so in the quiet solitude of the airport, Rob found his solace. The echoes of his wife's voice lingered, and the love that once soared through the skies found a way to touch down in his heart once more. This, dear listeners, is a tale that reminds us that love, like the wind beneath the wings, never truly leaves us. Rob, I hope I did your story justice. Thank you so much for submitting it to us. And from all of us here at Destination Aviation, I would like to say, I'm glad your skies are friendly, and we will always see you on the ground. So thank you again to Rob for submitting that. It's a touching story, and I think it is a first of probably many stories that we will get from our listeners. Uh, And that, to me, was a real treat. So thank you for sharing that and sharing it with our other listeners. We have one and final story for this podcast today, and it comes from someone I knew when I was in Laredo, Texas. His name is Carlos, and he flies cargo in and out of Mexico. He's actually from Mexico, but their aircraft would come to our airport quite often. If you remember from our podcast of Laredo, it is a very heavy cargo airport. One of the staples of the cargo aircraft community in Laredo and in Mexico and Point South is the Metro Liner. So if you haven't seen a Metro Liner, you probably will know when you do see one because they usually have a pool of fuel underneath them. Uh, they are notorious for leaking fuel. 
Carlos, that's actually how Carlos and I had met uh, conversations about how much fuel was getting dumped out of his airplane onto the airport. Obviously, it's an environmental issue. It's an issue for the areas in which the aircraft is parked. Uh, I actually was in Scottsdale a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was down there touring some airports. And when we were on the train connecting at the Sky Harbor Airport, we actually saw a Metro liner painted in green livery down, I think it's called Denver Connections. So I had to look it up a little bit. You could actually fly a Metro liner right now in Colorado uh, on a commercial flight. Uh, I saw that the, uh, I think, Simple Flying or the Points guys has some articles about him flying on it. I've been inside a Metro liner. I've never been in one. Another friend of mine, he actually just started flying Metro liners in Texas. Uh, they are a unique looking aircraft. They seem complicated from when you talk to pilots who actually fly these things. And like I said, you're going to have to keep an eye on your fuel as well. Our story from Carlos here is uh, another kind of heartwarming tale, but has some definite spooky vibes to it. And some of the realities, unfortunately, in Mexico, uh, especially in the northern region. If you look at the State Department's website, Travel to Mexico typically is green, kind of that, that color coding that they do. And usually the middle of Mexico, Mexico City, Carretero, those type of areas. But the closer you get to the border, uh, the more the State Department warns against travel to those areas for unfortunate incidences like kidnapping, shootings. There's just a lot of, obviously, as we know, we've seen in the news, there's a lot of border, illegal border crossings. Uh, there's trafficking of all kinds, whether that's human or drugs or whatever. Uh, illicit activity there might be so unfortunately when you get a lot of those characters in that area people can get swept up into that and that brings us a little bit into carlos's story here so this is a story that he had told me we talked a little bit about it again here goes into carlos's story the spine tingling story that comes from carlos is him flying cargo from monterey mexico to tamalipas monterey is in the state of nuevo leon it is south of Nuevo Laredo, Tamaulipas obviously being uh, one of the states of Mexico on the Gulf of Mexico. Carlos, a seasoned aviator who often transports precious cargo, found himself on a chilling flight one fateful night. The request was to transport the remains of an unfortunate soul, a victim of ruthless violence that shrouded the infamous Highway from Hell. This particular individual had fallen prey to the senseless crimes that have plagued the once serene journey from Nuevo Laredo to Monterey. No longer a safe haven for those unrelated to illicit activities, the highway had morphed into a perilous realm where even the innocent found themselves targeted. Carlos, a consummate professional with a deep respect for the cargo he carries, especially when it comes to someone's dearly departed, embarked on this solemn journey. Taking off from the Monterey airport, the plane's course set eastbound. Carlos, as he trusted his first officer, prepared for the solemn task ahead. Twenty minutes into the flight, an unexplained banging echoed from the back of the plane, stirring a unique sense of unease. Despite meticulous checks of the instruments and the cargo hold, no issues were evident. A chill in the air, unrelated to altitude change, gripped the cockpit, signaling that the flight was anything but ordinary. And then, another mysterious bang reverberated from the area where human remains lay. In a moment of deep conviction, Carlos, a man of faith, rose from his seat and entered the cargo hold, placing the cross he wore around his neck on top of the casket. He whispered a heartfelt prayer, promising safe passage to the restless soul on his journey home. The remainder of the flight unfolded without incident, and when Carlos and his first officer 
touched down at their destination. Family members anxiously awaited the return of their loved one. In a gesture of profound empathy, Carlos presented the cross to the grieving family, a token of solace in the face of inexplicable events that unfolded in the darkened skies. This was the courage of people in the skies and the mystery that accompanies those who traveled the haunted routes of Highway from Hell. It's unfortunate in Laredo, before more recent events, people could traverse from like Laredo, Texas to Nuevo Laredo, which is the sister city across the Rio Grande. And a lot of family members in Laredo in the United States have family members either in New Laredo or they have it down in Monterey. And so they would drive that area quite frequently and never have any issues. And that's kind of changed. Uh, we actually see a lot of flying now between... Uh, like Laredo to San Antonio and then south or Laredo to Houston south so people can avoid what's now being referred to as the highway from hell. If you get online, you can find some reports on there of people talking about just the dangers of this highway. Even uh, trucks in Laredo, 19,000 semi-trucks come through that port every day. Unfortunately, some of those, pretty a good amount of those are paying cartels. Unfortunately, when you have illicit activity like this, it brings in a lot of bad actors to get people swept up into their own issues. I appreciate Carlo sharing this tale with us. And that would conclude our chilling stories for the day. I hope you enjoyed them. It was exciting for me. It's exciting to engage with people that either I know or that are listening to this podcast. I find that to be, one, humbling that people are enjoying it, but secondly, that allows me to be engaged with people that are either fans or in the industry or whatever it might be. So this has been a very special for episode for me, so thank you for that. I actually will be traveling next weekend to Las Vegas. As I said, I will be at the National Business Aviation Association event. Uh, I am going to be out there all week. I am going to try to get an episode out, but don't, uh, don't hate me if I can't. Uh, I am definitely going to try. Uh, but as, you know, what things happen in Vegas get swept up, I have a lot of meetings I have to do. Um, and so it sounds simple, but this podcast does take a lot for me to get ready and get put out. So you don't hear me rambling or talking on and on about nothing that you probably care about because a lot of this episode is pause and adjusting and going back. So it does take a lot of time for me to edit and get it into place. It's hopefully a better listen for you guys on the end. Like I said, I am not a professional at this. You can feel free to send me your comments. I, I have received some. You've probably noticed from episode one till now that we've changed a little bit in the theme. I'm not married to how it flows. If there's things that make people it, this more enjoyable for people, I'm more than happy to adjust. And some of the comments that I've received in, which thank you, they are, are usually always constructive. I try to adjust the episode and then move forward. This will continue to be an ever-evolving process. Uh, and I hope you continue on that journey with me. Until we talk next time, my friends, stay safe out there. Watch for the spirit world. And if you find yourself flying over the weekend, listen closely to your headsets, pay attention in the terminals, and maybe keep an ear out for those spooky and creepy sounds. Until next time, my friends, we will see you down the runway. <laughs>